small town music. This is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song away, a song away, a song away. Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis. And I'm Kyle Dotson. And Kyle joining us tonight, we have an, uh, I'm going to say legendary bassist. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he'll be okay if I say that. Yeah, I don't think anyone would dispute no, wh- that. Why, why, why would you say no to that? <laughs> uh, no thanks. It <laughs> no sounds thanks, old. Just, it sounds old. We say legendary. Well, you know, it's I, like, think, I think if I said veteran... That might sound older. Even older, yeah. Even older. Very, yeah. But uh, legendary sounds, uh, I, you're, look, you look fantastic. I, I prefer... Rugged. This is Rudy Sarzo, by the way. Say, say hello, hey, Rudy. Pat, Kyle. I prefer ruggedly handsome. <laughs> ruggedly handsome? <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, but Rudy, you do look great. And uh, my, my, my friend Mike Siegel always says, uh, if you keep your hair and you stay thin, you're always going to be a rock star. More or less, and yeah. you and you look fantastic. Uh, thank you. I, you know, it takes a little bit more than that. You know. <laughs> well, you have I mean, to. You have to have some chops. Well, yes, of course. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's being a musician. You have to be a musician, of course. But it's, uh, you know, eating the right things. What? And can I ask that? What? What does a Rudy Sarzo do to stay <sighs> fit? Fit. I go to the gym. You know the gym around where we live. Across from the Costco is on one end, and we go to the other one. Yeah. I mean, the other end where the gym is on the Topanga. Village. Yeah, I go. I go to a different one, but I know what one you go to. Yeah. You don't want me to say it, do you? It doesn't matter. You, you go to the one that's like three stories. Yeah, that okay. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I go to the LA Fitness that's around the corner. LA Fitness. It's uh, on Canoga, Canoga and Victory. Oh, okay. I used to go to the one that's on Burbank, Burbank, and off of Side Street, and it's been like a whole bunch of different names. I think yeah. Gold was the last. Yes, time. yes, yeah. yeah. Rudy, by the way, lives in uh, the same uh, neighborhood as I live in. Yes, so, I do. Yes, because uh, I told him I used to see him at the uh, at the post office, but I would never, uh, I would never say hello because he's doing his stuff. So I'm not going to bother you. Yeah, you know, the post office is not like the, the best social environment, <laughs> right? Right. You know, it's usually a long line. You're pissed off because you yeah. got to wait in line. You got to wait in line, and and they, they make they give you these little labels mm-hmm. to write all the information. Yeah, in. put the I, readers on. I have the worst. Well, I got LASIKs. Oh, okay. But before that, I probably had readers. You mm-hmm. know, and they give you. I I mean, I have the worst uh, penmanship. <laughs> Thank God, you know, the book that I wrote, Off the Rails, yeah. if it wasn't for laptops, I would have never, never written, written it. it. No, no freehand, forget it. No, yeah, I, I couldn't even read my own handwriting. Yeah. All right, fitness, let's answer that question. Yes. What, do you, what do you eat? Eat, um, I was, I mean, boy, this is going to be really, people are going to be falling asleep. Oh, it'll be love, they'll love it. Yeah, it's, okay. it's a little inside stuff, then inside, we'll get to music. Uh, well, you know, on, on the road, it's survival. You know, if, because I... You know, not every single destination is going to be final destination when, right. you, when you travel. And we do a lot of flying. Mm-hmm. Not every single one is going to be a, a major airport. So, we, you know, we fly into like, uh, you know, secondary markets, right. airports, you know. There's a lot of casinos and, and theaters <laughs> sure. in, in, in those cities. And, and usually the airport has is very limited. And what they offer, yeah. you know, so it's uh, a good meal for me. It's a meal that I did not do not get sick the next day. You know? <laughs> okay, that's that's a good meal. But know? if you if you were if you were making a choice, if you if you had uh, if you could have anything, if you were at an airport, uh, you know, uh, an A plus airport, and you could have anything, what would be your your go to? Uh, a lean 
on show days, a lean burger. Okay. And I've been doing that for decades. Uh, show day, it's some kind of pro meat protein. Mm -hmm. I've tried, I, I was, I was uh, a vegetarian for about five years and it unfortunately did not work for me. Okay. I'm finding ways because, you know, it, the, it evolves. Yeah. You know, veganism, vegetarianism evolves every year. Just new proteins that they come up with and supplements and things like right. that. I also take a lot of supplements, vitamins and uh, minerals. Yeah. And you work out. I work out. I work out not to bulk, but to basically not break down. Yeah. Burn, burn the fat and stay yeah. lean and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. All right, cool. That, that's the healthy uh, fitness part of the show. Now, uh, we're going to get into music. The first thing I want to do, though, sometimes I find that uh, on studio albums, sometimes your bass, uh, to my disappointment, it might be buried a little low in the mix. Yeah. So I'm, I, wanna, I want people to hear what you do. So I found a clip from the Quiet Riot live album called Alive and Well. Mm -hmm. This is The Wild and the Young. This is a song that you didn't play on on the studio version. Is that on that? Yeah. Yeah, which, which version is it? Because, I mean, that was like really, I remember playing that in just in very few occasions. It, was, it wasn't really a part of the, of of our, the, of the our, set. Of the set. It, it's, on, it's on an album called Alive and Well, and let's hear a little bit of it. You're going to well, hear Frankie, and then you're going to hear uh, Mr. Rudy Sarzo come in. You know, I have no recollection. I mean, that's not live, by the way. That's not, Alive and no, Well is not live? It, no, it's because it's not live and well. Oh, it's Alive, it's alive and, well. and Well. So you re, so these are re-recordings. Re-recordings, yeah. Oh, uh, you got me. Yeah, yeah. But I have no recollection of, of ever playing that. Well, <laughs> does, it, does that sound like it's you, though? Yeah, it is me. It's playing. definitely you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I, mostly when I have a musical guest in here, I find that... You don't sit around and listen to your own music that no, you've recorded in the past. I recorded and just move on. I mean, yeah. I do so many tracks nowadays mm -hmm. uh, because it's, you know, I, I get contacted from bands, artists from all over the world. And my first thing that I write back and says, uh, can I hear right. a, you know, what the song sounds like? Basically to see if it's something that I would want to put my name on it. You know, yeah. Kenny Aronoff was in here. He told me the exact same thing. People yeah. always want him to drum well, on their tracks. Kenny's one of the guys that I do a, a lot of projects with. He's a great guy. But I go to either to his studio or another mm -hmm. studio. Yeah. But, but I've, I've cut a lot of tracks at his own studio. Oh, he's, he's, he's incredible. He's a, he's a monster. So, uh, yeah, we do, he does that. I do that. Yeah. And so we wind up playing in zillions of tracks. <laughs> right. Not necessarily in one, on one record, like this Dream Child mm -hmm. record that we were talking about. That came out at the same time as the uh, the Guess Who new record. Yes. That's your um, new project, though. You are the bass player in the the Guess I Who. Am, I am the official bass player. That's your I took band. Over, yes, yeah. I took over for the founding member bassist Jim mm -hmm. Kale. 
Yeah. And I was subbing for him for about a few months before he decided to retire. Okay. And uh, that's when I took over. And uh, it's, it's, I make all these tracks mm -hmm. and I send my track over, you know, it's all through the internet, Dropbox sure, sure. and stuff. And a lot easier now than it used to be. <clears throat> oh God. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I have a little studio in, in my home, you know, basically just very bare bones, but it's, I, I know how to get a great sound. Let me, let's do some tech talk. Um, how many bases do you have at your house currently? About 35. And I auditioned, I have about 10 go-to mm -hmm. bases that are in the room. Okay. So when I get a track, this is basically what, what I do. I know certain effects that I'm going to put on, you know, because it's all digital. So, yeah. I, so what I'm trying to do is to make it sound analog. Yes. So there's going to be some, something to warm it up, some harmonic distortion and some, maybe some chorusing to bring out certain harmonics in the strings. You know, the things that, that back in the day, and I'm talking about when, you know, in the seventies, eighties, before we went digital, that you just basically show up in the studio, you bring your bass, you plug, plug it, in, it in, and that's the sound. <laughs> so now I have to chase that sound. Yeah. You know. So when you someone sends you a track, and as soon as you hear it, do you know, oh, I'm going to use bass number six? Well, I'll, then I break it down to like, a, according to the style of music, mm -hmm. I say, oh, okay, uh, if it's like really heavy metal, uh, I go with, a, um, with preamped basses for the, for the heavy mm -hmm. metal. You know, something that's going to cut through especially the tune down, you know, guitars. Yes. So I tune down, sometimes I tune up. If, if it's a song is in C, tune down to C, drop, drop C, I actually tune up my five string, which the lowest string is B. I tune everything up to C, so I'm actually playing in the key of C, but it's up, so the, the strings are tighter. Okay. You know, that's one of the tricks that, that, that I use. And um, I, I have a couple things, or sometimes I can just even drop C on my Spectre. I have my. Now, my what is the Spectre? I don't know Spectre, what the Spectre is. It, it, Spectre is a brand. Okay. Like Fender and Gibson oh, okay. are okay. brands, so Spectre bases, you know. Is and, that your go to, a Spectre? Uh, Spectre has the most uh, cutting uh, tone okay. of all the, is best known as a real heavy drop down D, C tuning bass, you know, whereas the fenders, and I prefer my fenders um, passive rather than with preamps. Okay. Even, even though I have a couple and the preamps are really sweet and nice, if I want to go for the classic rock sound, I go with a passive fender jazz. I do, I do have the 59 precision, which is a, bit, a lovely, lovely uh, bass. And has, uh, has the bass, has that always been your instrument? For like from, from the first time you heard music, you were like, I think I want to, I want to be a bass player. Uh, first or time I heard music, I was in the crib. <laughs> so I was just banging on <laughs> whatever toy I happened to be in my crib. But wait, but do you play other, do you play guitar? Do you play keyboards? I play do do guitar. I play guitar. This is what happened. Uh, I was doing an, a, a, an interview of uh, maybe three, four years ago, and somebody asked me basically the same question mm -hmm. about how did I start playing bass. And in that moment, I had an epiphany. The epiphany was that I realized that the reason why I play bass was because 
when I moved from New Jersey down to Miami, back to Miami, where my family originally came from Cuba to Miami, then we were relocated and we returned down to Miami. Basically, the next building, the building <laughs> next to the one that we were living originally, right? So it's the same neighborhood. And by then, the Beatles had made the splash and all the kids were, each neighborhood, each block had a band. Yeah. So I was assigned by de facto, I'm in this block, so this is my band, right? So I went to the garage that they were rehearsing at, introduced myself, and I, and I go, uh, and I play guitar, and he says, well, we have a guitar player. We, <laughs> everybody plays guitar here. If you want to join the band, you got to play bass. So I realized, I said, wait a minute, a decision was made for me by, <laughs> somebody by someone else, else that I was going to be a bass player. So I, I was pretty upset about that. <laughs> but you're not upset about it now. Well, I mean, this is like five years ago, so I dust up all my guitars. You okay. know, I, I have a, a collection of guitars, okay. you know, and I started getting into the guitar. But what happened was something interesting that I had never really approached before. It was learning music from guitar players, which is a whole different uh, way of looking at my playing mm -hmm. as a bassist, learning from other bass players. Yeah. So it was like, wait a minute, I'm learning more about music now than I did when I was, uh, you know, going to certain websites that were just bass player centric. Because a lot of those websites, they teach you. Uh, technique and I've been playing for a while so I say okay I got you know some certain technique okay it's developed but what was missing was music theory harmony and things like that which I actually studied back in college but through the years I never had to use nobody in any band has ever given me sheet music and mm -hmm. say play this so you're so you continue to evolve and learn and teach yourself even uh, this uh, far into your career it's a journey. I, may, I, I, I come to the conclusion that, and this is the way that I could deal with it. I am never going to be the, as great as I want to be, but the fun and the enjoyment that I'm going to have for the rest of my life, gathering information and knowledge, it surpasses what I would feel if I get to the point that I say, oh my God, I am so good right now. <laughs> No, that would be very sad right. <laughs> because then what's next? You know, so I'm always looking for the what's next because I know it's there because I know I don't know everything. Well, let's hear, let's hear a little bit of uh, something from the new Guess Who album. It's called The Future Is What It, what used, it used To Be. To be. Now, there's, there's two tracks that I played on because I was the last guy added because the record had a journey of two years in the making. So wait a minute, you're not on every track? I'm not, I'm not on every track. As a matter of fact, we have three bases okay. on the record. Uh -oh. We have the original bass player, Jim Cale. Okay. And then after that, we have uh, uh, Michael Devon, okay. who is uh, White Snake's bassist. Okay. And then myself. So Baby Come Around. Let's see if I have that one on my list. If and, not, we'll find it. And Running Blind. Those are the two you're on? That's the two that I'm on. We have Running Blind in here. Right. Yeah, play running blind, blind. and then yeah. if you go i have the whole album in yeah. there so you'll be able to find okay, okay yeah. so here's uh running blind yeah
can hear you in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very nice. I, did, I, I like this album very, very much. Oh, it's a great record. We actually played four songs uh, live okay. that we added to our set of uh, hits. You know, Yeah, because the Guess Who has a catalog of hits. Huge. 17. 17 hits. Hits, yeah. And four of them, number ones, double-sided. Yeah, it's crazy. Like back in the day, you have 45s. A-side, B-side. A, yeah, the A-side and B-side were, were number ones, yeah. So who's in the band? We got the original drummer. Yes, Gary Peterson. We got uh, we D got Sharp. D Sharp is the singer, the singer, songwriter, and producer. Rudy Sarzo on bass. On bass. Uh, Leonard Shaw on keys, sax, and flutes. And Will Ivankovic is also a guitar player, songwriter, mm -hmm. and producer. As a matter of fact, he co produced the, the latest Sticks record called The Mission. Oh, yeah, that's he a good record. Produced it and co wrote it with Tommy Shaw. Yeah, that's a good record. I like yeah. that one. Uh, let's hear the other song. You got a car? You find mm -hmm. it? Yep. We just started at the beginning. This yeah, is a fun record. This yeah. is a really great yeah, record. Is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, how does it? How do we go about doing this with the? Uh, does the original drummer? Does he own the name? Does do Burton Cummings and actually and Bachman uh, the, care um, that this is happening? The uh, original drummer and bassist mm -hmm. they own the brand. They own the brand. Yes. And so there's no pushback from Bachman and Cummings. They're doing their I things. I have no idea. You I stay play, out of that deal. I play bass. You play bass. Okay, good. <laughs> I like that. I like that. All right. Now, uh, Rudy. In the Off the Rails book, the first couple pages, you tell a story about getting a call from Sharon Osbourne. Yes. Would you mind telling that to, uh, to our listeners? Because <laughs> I read this and I was just like, no, it's basically, this is the, this is the know, greatest. What happened behind, behind the scenes, you know, and uh, before I got the call is they, you know, they... Ozzy and Sharon and Tommy Eldridge already had the gig, mm -hmm. and, and Randy, they come to L.A. with about less than two weeks before the band goes on the road. So they start looking for a bass player, and Randy kept telling them, well, you know, you should call Rudy, because, you know, I play with him in Quiet Riot, mm -hmm. and he's got all the qualities that you guys are looking for, which is basically somebody that can play the songs. And this is Quiet Riot before you guys broke big yeah this is the randy rhodes version of Va Quiet randy Riot. rhodes that's, version that's what everybody calls that, yes the, the randy years 
And basically, they were looking for a, 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 a musician that could be a cool hang in the bus, mm -hmm. world traveling in the bus, yeah. you know, and also not be a bad influence on Ozzy. And were you were you uh, were you a clean guy back there and straight oh, yeah. and the straight well, and narrow? I, I, I was a starving musician. Mm -hmm. Even if I wanted to be a drug addict, you I didn't have I, the money for it. I didn't have the money, <laughs> so it's like. But but that wasn't the reason I was in L.A. Actually, if I wanted to do drugs, I would have stayed in Miami. That's what the drugs are yeah. and the booze and, and just. I, I didn't want to do that. No, I wanted to be a recording artist and. And I spent uh, about a couple of years or more in L.A. in the scene. I was living right off uh, across the street from Tower Records. So every day I would go over to the Rainbow and, and see some of my heroes yeah. becoming casualties, uh -huh. drinking and drugging. And I'm going like, oh, God, I'm, I'm not even half as talented as this guy here. And look at him. Nobody wants to play with him because it's a liability. You know, so I, I said, no, no, don't touch anything. Just, you know, keep it clean. Yeah. You know, just because I, I had a goal. Mm -hmm. I knew what I wanted, you know. You got to keep your eye on the prize. Yeah, I don't eye on the prize and no, no plan B. Just go for it, you know. So you're hanging, uh, you're hanging out one day with uh, mm -hmm. Kevin Dubrow and you get a call. No, actually, I wasn't Kevin. I was sleeping on the floor of Kevin, Kevin's apartment. Okay. Yeah. And the the way that I could pay for my my rent, and for that for that room that he was very kind to let me stay there, yeah. was by playing in his band Dubrow. We were doing shows on the weekends at the Starwood mm -hmm. and you know these other local places. Was it cover it songs or was it no, uh, originals? No, no, it was a continuation of Quiet Riot. Okay, so we were doing some some of the most popular Quiet Riot songs. Mm -hmm. And also um, the new songs that actually a lot of them wound up on the Mental Health record. Okay. So you're uh, so you're you're at Kevin's and and you get a phone call mm -hmm. and it's Sharon Osborne. Yes, I, I was I was laying on the floor and Kevin knocks on my door and says, uh, "There's somebody calling for you." I mean, nobody called for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there were no cell phones. This was like a phone. It was a real the, phone, you know. Yeah. And it's like nobody, you know, I. I was some guy. I was actually I was playing in a band called Angel at the time. Okay, but we didn't have a record deal. We just hang out at the record plant and make demos. Okay, every night during you know when somebody cancel a a session or then you slip in there. Yeah, spec time they call it. These are the lean years for sure. It sounds oh, like oh really lean. Okay, I, I was about hundred and ten pounds. Yeah, really <laughs> lean years. Yeah. And uh, so I get a call from Sharon, and I was really happy in, in Angel, you know. It was like part of my plan was not to be in somebody else's band. Right. Was to be in a band. And so when the whole thing about joining Ozzy's band, it was like, okay, I mean, you know. But then again, I'm, here I am, the guy sleeping on the floor. And this meant that I was going to play with Randy Rhodes again. Right. And, you know, and I could eat, <laughs> so, so, but my, you know, shooting from the hip, I got the call and I say, oh, I, I told Sharon, oh no, thank you so much. I'm, I'm pretty happy playing with my band Angel. So he just hung up on me, of course, she's busy. He's got other calls to make. And then the next day I get the call from Ozzy because he said, uh, he calls me and- So you turned down the gig? I turned down the gig. All right. And then I tell, you know, I hang up and, she, and Kevin goes, what was that? 
Maybe I explained to him, he starts yelling at me. You know, <laughs> you think you're doing, you're, you're being a, a good dude. You're like not bailing on Kevin or Angel. And uh, Kevin's saying, dude, you gotta, you don't hang up on Ozzy. You got to take that gig. Yeah, you should take that gig, you know. <laughs> and, he, you know, yeah. So I, how do you get back in touch with, oh, Ozzy called well, you Ozzy then. called me the okay. next day. And he says, listen, we tried a bunch of guys and there were a bunch of hacks. And, and Randy <laughs> says, that's what he said. And Randy says it. that you're the guy. And I say, well, you know, okay. By then I was ready. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, but I wasn't expecting another call. It just so happened, you know. And uh, so I went over and I met everybody. Randy picked me up mm -hmm. off Coldwater and Riverside. That's where Kevin's, um, he lived in a duplex kind of, uh, you know, where there were like four apartments okay. in this little building. Yeah, still there, you know. And um, so, so uh, Randy picks me up and we go to Trader Vic's. I know where Trader Vic's is. Have you been in LA long enough uh, yeah. to have been to Trader Vic's? I haven't been there, but I know where it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Trader Vic's, and they had they had these uh, the specialty was a scorpion, which is like this this drink with like three or four different liqueurs, mm -hmm. alcohol, and a gardenia. You know, so that was the whole thing. <laughs> How many gardenias can we fit on the table? <laughs> Make it smell really nice, you know. So, um, yeah, I just, and, and, and Randy, you know, he just, uh, he was incredibly helpful. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I got the gig not only because he recommended me, but he prepped me in many levels. Gotcha. He prepped me psychologically, mm -hmm. explaining to him what the process was going to be like. Because they had to bring somebody into their inner circle. And I say they, meaning Ozzy and Sharon. Yeah. Really quickly. Uh, there was a lot at, at stake with that tour. The, um, it was not financed by the major label. It was financed by the independent label, which the family owned, which was Jet Records, yeah. which was also the management, you know, and all of that. So well, there was a lot writing on that record, so there could be no mistakes. And this is Ozzy breaking free of Black Sabbath for the first time? So All, all of the above, yeah. yeah. Blizzard yeah. of Oz tour? Yeah. Let's and hear, let's hear uh, from the Blizzard of Oz tour. This is uh, Crazy Train. Andy Rhodes, Rudy Sarzo, and Tommy Aldridge backing Ozzy. That's incredible. I mean, the first the first show you did of that tour, did people just go crazy? My recollection of that first show was like uh, going, and I'm serious about this, was going on a roller coaster ride. You know, when you go, mm -hmm. you get to the top, and it's like, whoa. And it was just like that. It was unbelievable 
unbelievable. I do not recall the songs in real time. Mm-hmm. I recall them as bits and pieces, pieces of things that were flying really fast past me. Was uh and, and Ozzy sounds amazing. Did he um was Ozzy in uh uh, uh how do I want what, what's a gentle way to say it? Was he uh not uh indulging too much on this tour because so much was riding on it? Yeah, I mean indulgence by the level of <laughs> What everybody else was basically doing, or what he had been doing with yeah, Black yeah. Sabbath. Uh, it was a combination of that, and also Sharon basically had a daily intervention gotcha. with Ozzy. You know, she made sure that the, the backstage was clean. Mm-hmm. But then again, he had the option of hanging with the crew. So it was kind of like, yeah, like every day was she had to really look out after him. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, did you and uh, Tommy click immediately as a rhythm section? Um, <laughs> I would say that I clicked with Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> that that is something that I don't think Tommy ever thought at, in those days of like, yeah, okay, let me listen to what this guy's doing and uh, try to shape my playing. Mm-hmm. No, it, was, it wasn't about that. I mean, it's like I, I play with Tommy in a bunch of bands. Yeah. You know, and especially around around Ozzy, it was pretty much if you get Tommy Alders in the band and this is what you get. Right. So what I had to do was basically take the essence of what was recorded and adapted to the way Tommy played yeah. the drums. Because if I played it exactly the way that it was on the record, it would have not gelled. And was that is that difficult to do when you have to make those um, those choices or those um, what do I want to say those changes, or you just no, go with, you just went with the flow. You you adapted. Okay, adapted. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Adapted. And and actually, it also affected uh, Randy's playing because mm-hmm. Randy played completely different with Tommy than he did with Lee and Lee Kersley. Yes. And also with uh, Drew Forsythe, which was our original drummer in Quiet Riot, completely different. Um, what Tommy brought that really uh, altered the the rhythm of the band, the flow, the energy, was that Tommy came from playing a lot of stadiums with Black Oak, Arkansas. I mean, yeah. those guys were huge. And back in the day, they were doing like these tours like stadiums, right? Which meant that they were playing a lot of shuffles. A whole all that Black Oak Arkansas, you know, yeah. go Jim Dandy and all that, you know, right? So with that feel, it's natural to lean forward in your playing. There's three ways of playing drums. In front of the beat, on the beat, behind the beat. And I play with all sorts of drummers that lean in a, in a certain category. Okay. And Tommy's was leaning forward. Uh, Alex Van Halen does the same thing. You know, which means that if you're going to, if he's going to be the conductor, the drummer, and you're going to lock in with him, you're going to follow. Yeah. You know, and uh, so that's what Randy did. All of a sudden, Randy's leaning forward in his play. And it's like, it was very exciting. And I just joined right in, you know. So it was like this whole band completely leaning forward energy wise. So it's uh, it was very very exciting to be a part of it and it's exciting to listen to it. And you can you can tell. And I have uh, I have I have uh, a couple more tracks with you guys. Uh, I'll let you choose. Do you want to hear? I have uh, "Flying High Again" or 
Iron Man and Paranoid. Which one of those would you like to hear? I'm sure you haven't heard it in a long time. Um, flying, uh, flying High, because I, I, if it's the recording that I'm thinking of, uh, I'm playing uh, a fretless on that. All right, let's listen to it. Yeah, if it is that version, because I started playing a fretless. That's yeah, I just, fretless. I just heard the fretless. Yeah. How can you uh, like how you just know you can hear it because oh, you're yeah. you're you're a musician. I'm not. Well, I know what a fretless bass sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> now this is um th th I know I know you've written about it in your book and um and it's not a, it's not a great uh, thing to discuss, but um, the day that Randy passed mm. must be one of the worst days of your life. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, it changed everybody. Yeah. Not only that it changed everything, it just, uh, it had uh, one of those effects that um, psychologically you learn to live with it, mm. but you're never the same again. You just, you know, you just learn to live with mm. what happened because you must move forward. And, and most important, you know, and this is something that I it didn't, I was not, I, I did not understand at the time that it happened the importance of the ones who are left behind to actually, it's our responsibility to celebrate their memory, the right. ones that passed on. That's our responsibility. And at the beginning, I did not understand that. All I knew was that I was in terrible pain and that I had to move on. And how long into the tour did this... Uh did the accident happen? Well, the tour started, that is the Diary of a Madman tour. So officially in the U.S., because we were in Europe and England mm -hmm. prior to that, it started uh, December 30th, 1981, and the accident, the crash happened March 1983, 82, and, 82. And just a total, I mean, if it's a freak accident. I mean, if it's if there's such a thing, you know, you know what I'm... I, I know, I, I mean... You know, if you ever get to read the book, it, I, I, it's very easily explained. Yeah. I mean, not easily, but detail. Yeah. All the details that, you know, if you follow the details, it's, it's you know, you can see what actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so after, uh, after this happens, how long do you guys uh, wait until you regroup? Because you bring in Brad, they bring in Brad Gillis. Yeah. No, no. There was no real waiting period. Mm -hmm. It was a we regrouped immediately because at that moment, because, you know, we have been on tour now and the band had a lot of success. We we're headlining arenas in the United States and both records were successful and it, Ozzy was being established as who he yeah. is today, you know. And, and all of a sudden this happened and Sharon knew she knew that if Ozzy would just go home, he would have drank himself to death. Yeah. So it was just a matter of keeping him uh, busy. And, keep and, him busy. and, and did she, did, moving. did she sit down with you and Tommy and say, we can't, we have to keep going to oh, keep yeah. Ozzy alive. Yeah. 
No, no. I mean, it, it, in a way, she didn't have to. There's certain things that mm-hmm. she told me. She said, from this point on, you must, you, 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 you must let Ozzy lean on you. Like the way that he would lean on Randy. Physically. Physically. At the sh- during the concert. It was going to be Rand, uh, Ozzy and me playing off each other. And it was like, who am I going right. to lean on? Yeah. I have nobody to lean on. So, you know, at that point, I wasn't really... Uh, so you I, needed someone to lean on too. Yes. But you were, you were uh, giving of yourself because maybe Ozzy needed it more. Yes. I was, I was not as mature as an experienced as I am today that I can actually look at those incidents mm-hmm. and say, okay, today I would deal with it this way. Yeah. Back then, I was like... I had no clue. Well, that comes with experience and maturity, yeah. like you yeah, said. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Coaching, basically. Yeah. You know. And it, no matter who came in to, to, um, to take Randy's place for the duration of the tour, because I don't want to say replace Randy, but Ozzy wouldn't have felt comfortable leaning on the, the new guy, so it had to be you. Tommy's on the drums. It, it, yeah. it really had to be you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we tried it, and it was painful mm-hmm. it was pain I, I mean i couldn't even look at him i couldn't even look at the audience it was it was uh i mean look, like on autopilot yes until the tour was over yeah and look how the best way i can explain it is i left ozzy one of the biggest bands in the world they were taking incredibly good care of me mm-hmm. ozzy and sharon i left for the total unknown which was to join quiet riot yeah I mean, nobody in in the Los Angeles music industry thought that Quiet Riot was even going to sell ten records. And why did you leave uh, Ozzy? Why did I just? Yeah, you just. It was painful. It was painful to stay there. To be there. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So one one day, I uh, during a break after Randy had passed away, I get a call from from Kevin says, "Listen." I'm going in to record Thunderbird, which I used to play with Kevin in Dubro, Okay. which was a song that Kevin wrote for Randy when he left Quiet Riot to join Ozzy. So I knew the song. And he says, uh, would you like to come in for this record that we're doing? It wasn't officially named Quiet Riot at the time. Okay. You know, uh, the, the, the label that they were working with, because it wasn't even sold the uh, to a major label. It was an independent pr- production deal. Then it was taken to a couple of other labels and one label said, okay, we'll take it. And uh, so I went in and I did Thunderbird in a couple of takes. I did it with my my practice base because all my gear was on the road right. with Ozzy. And uh, so they said, uh, you know, Kevin and the guy, Frankie Benelli and and the producer, they go, uh, do you remember any of the old songs? You know, like uh, Slick Black Cadillac mm-hmm. and, and um, uh, Let's Get Crazy. You know, things that I used to play in, in Dubrow. So by the time I left the session, I had done like maybe four, maybe even five tracks already. And that... And were these, were these, did these eventually end up being yeah. the final tracks? Yeah, every single one of them. <laughs> it's yeah. like they tricked you. Well, no, what happened was as we went along, I started to really have joy playing well, that's good. again. That's good. I found my 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 joyful 
Mo, you know your mojo the mojo well the joy yeah not really a mojo your mojo joy the mojo there you go <laughs> that's a good one uh yeah yeah i you know i found again that was like here i am you know i have been playing with frankie since 1972 and of course kevin and quiet ryan i live with him so it was kind of like uh wow this is this is you know this is good i mean and, and again the band wasn't even called quiet riot officially they were throwing around names like wild oscar and <laughs> and someone that the producer wanted to name the band and it was like what about the rudy sarzo band did no, that no, ever come up no 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 no, no, no. and um so so this uh, this happened and it was a few weeks later i basically after i fulfilled my commitments uh, i recorded speak of the devil at the ritz and that was the last time that I played with Ozzy. And that was um, in and then, 1982. Yeah, yeah. And then how? When did when did it officially become Quiet Riot? And shortly after that, shortly after that, um, we um, the the production company found a, a label which was Epic mm-hmm. um, Columbia at the time. Now it's Sony. And uh, they took, so it's a Pasha label, mm-hmm. but distributed by, by Columbia, basically. And then this thing becomes the first heavy metal album to go number one. Uh, debut. Debut. Debut, yes. Okay. yes, yes. That's debut. amazing. First debut, yeah. Again, it was a record that w- even done in the can, master, ready to go with the release date, mm-hmm. we could not get a manager. We <laughs> couldn't get nothing. It's crazy. Nothing, nothing, because everybody in LA, you know, they didn't believe that uh, that that music had any future. Now, meanwhile, I have been touring with Ozzy mm-hmm. with bands like Motorhead opening up for us and Def Leppard and UFO. I have been to England. I've seen Iron Maiden, and and I have toured with with Saxon with Ozzy. I knew that there was a new wave of metal yeah. happening. Whether it was going to come to the U.S., I did not know at the time, even though Ozzy was, was part of that right. movement, you know. And I'd seen sold-out crowds every single night, you know, touring with Ozzy. So there was, there was some hope mm-hmm. that something was going to happen. Well, like, something happened. You know, yeah, I know, but <laughs> never of that magnitude. Right. It was like yeah. a hope so, so we could make a living, right. basically, and make music. And um, let's hear, I'm not going to play Metal Health because you don't play on that track on the album. No. Chuck uh, Wright does. Chuck Wright, and he plays on, I mean, it says so on the record. Yeah, you, it does. You know, yeah. But your picture's on the, and you're on the rest of the album. Yeah, yeah. But, it, but it says additional musicians. Sure. You know. But why didn't, um, why didn't they re-record the, the bass part with you if you were in the band? And, and Spec, when they went out to get the... The deal, mm-hmm. you know, when they shopped the deal around, yeah. they used three songs. One, one was that one of them was "Come On, Feel the Noise," mm-hmm. "Metal Hell," okay, and uh, "Don't Want to Let You Go." Okay, so that record was done in thirty-two thousand dollars. That's it. It was not. There was no room for re-recording because again, they didn't know it was going to sell ten or twenty records. Right, done. All right, you know? let's hear one of the hits that you did play on, it's a cover of a Slade song, and this is Come On, Feel The Noise. Iconic. Everyone knows this. Everybody, yeah.
six million copies. The album sells six million copies right, in so the it's U.S. So it's 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 a diamond record now. Yeah. It's oh, um, it's ten it's, by it's now. 10, yeah. No, it's over ten. It's about twelve. Do you have a diamond award? I got a I got a a, a plaque at home. Did yeah. You hang it up? Yeah. It's some people up. some people don't hang them up. I've talked to no, lots of guys. They. It's, uh, I it's, think you should. It's wallpaper. You know, it's like if you're a doctor. Yeah. Got your, diploma your diploma up there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I recorded the bass part for that song, I had never heard the original before, mm -hmm. which was good because I, I didn't go for what. Yeah, you know, copying it. Yeah. So basically, I thought, eh, what would Tom Peterson from Cheap Trick do? That's, that my, was that's my, my favorite band. That was my only reference. I, I heard the song and I went, wow, okay, it's like melodic pop, you know, Cheap Trick ish. So I just, <laughs> that's what I played. I love Tom Peterson. Not necessarily what Tom Peterson did right. in any of the recording, but that was like the only thing I had. You know, what what am I gonna play on this? So so you guys you guys because of MTV and you guys have a cool logo and you have the you have the the metal mask. Yeah, let's like, go back to MTV. Okay. MTV played Come and Feel the Noise every half hour. I could set my watch. And I knew it was on the half hour. And did you mind seeing yourself on TV or did you love it? I love it mean, because I did not get to really bask in the success of anything that we did until like years later. Mm -hmm. um, because we were working so hard yeah. to keep moving forward. It was kind of like, you know, you're in the middle of the road and, and you know, on tour and, and you're sitting there having breakfast and the manager comes, says, comes in and says, oh, you guys went to number one. Uh, okay, pass the ketchup. <laughs> we got an in-store to do. You just, you know, it, so doesn't many, even, yeah. it doesn't even hit you. Yeah, I bet you guys did tons of, you've probably signed so many copies of that we album. We did because, I hate to say back in the day, but back in the day, we had record stores. Yep. And it, this, is, this is the itinerary every single day. Okay, because even if we were on opening up for other bands, and we did that, we did that with... Scorpions, which led us to the US Festival. Yeah, you guys were the first band to play yeah. on Metal Day. Metal Day, yeah, 1983. Yeah. Because it was a US Festival the, uh, the year before, mm. 83. And um, so we actually, we flew in because we were in the middle of a tour, and then we flew right out after that show, so we didn't stick around. So you didn't, you couldn't enjoy the other bands that day? No, no, I mean, we were, in, we were on a mission. <laughs> Let me just run, run it down. It was Quiet Riot, Motley Crue, Ozzy Osbourne, Judas Priest, Triumph, Scorpions, and then Van Halen closed yeah, it out. That's right. But you guys came in, did your thing, and boom, right back that's out. That's right. Right back out. And uh, so the following tour that we did after Scorpions was ZZ Top. Then after that, we did Loverboy. Then uh, they kick us off the tour. Loverboy did. Loverboy. Because they were, because you were hard to follow. No, I guess it was more to do. It's, it's different lifestyle. I mean, the guys in the band were a little, were really enjoying themselves, you know. And um, so the guys that, in your band or the guys in Loverboy? No, no, in our band. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and um, so right after that, we actually we started headlining a short with Queensrÿche on their EP Queen of the Reich. Okay, they were a support, and then another band, either Axe or Kick Axe. Always get get confused because we have both on tour. Yeah, different times we had Axe. Kick axe. Kick axe. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they, well, there's quiet there's riot and there's riot. There's riot. So. Yeah, there you go. That's true. <laughs> and then uh, then we got an offer to open up for Maiden. Nice. And we went on tour with Maiden. Then by the time we followed that with 
Black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. That was uh, the fall of 1983. We went to number one. This seems like a better fit. Quiet Riot opening for Iron Maiden and Quiet Riot opening for Loverboy. It just seems you know, like we, a better fit. You know, what we were doing, what we were doing was a little bit ahead of its time. So we, we were not really super metal mm-hmm. like Black Sabbath, but we were, not, we were too edgy. Yeah. To be a fit with, uh, with, uh, Loverboy. with, with Loverboy. Yeah. Even ZZ Top, yeah. it was you know quiet riding ZZ Top is like no no you know uh, but we always did our thing that's mm-hmm. all we knew how to do no matter who we play with we went out as quiet riot when you do when you open for a ZZ Top does a ZZ Top audience do you can you feel if they're into it or if they're the toughest not, audience I've ever played. That was the ZZ of. Top. Not just with Quiet Riot. Years later, like around 1994, uh, White Snake. Mm-hmm. I was in tour with White Snake, and and I and I figure in in Germany, you know, White Snake, big band yeah, yeah. in Europe, especially. And I go, oh, okay, it's gonna be, you know, it's gonna be cool. There's gonna be half audience for White Snake, half for ZZ Top, and no. <laughs> no, no. All ZZ Top. All ZZ Top. Oh my God, that must be horrendous. It was, yeah, it definitely the hardest band. And because you know the, the the following is so fanatical, you know about ZZ Top. Even the women, the women look like the guys in the band, right? You know. <laughs> and this is this is during the glam era of 1983. Mm-hmm. You know, oh no, no, they all wore flannel before grunge existed, right? You know. <laughs> You know, and uh, um, what was it? <laughs> we were just talking about I just different got lost in ZZ Top. Uh, yeah, land. we were just talking about opening band. <laughs> but let's move. Let's move on to uh, condition critical. I want to ask: Was there pressure from you guys from the label to immediately get in the studio and get another album out? Because this basically yes, comes out. Yes, they basically drag. A, uh, we had. We were just. We were just getting our our engines going for the. Uh, we started headlining. Yeah, uh, in Detroit, New Year's Eve, nineteen eighty-three to eighty-four, with Night Ranger and also Saga and Schoolgirl. They uh, Saga and Schoolgirl, I believe, they switch over, you know, at different times. Yeah, or Night Ranger. <coughs> but what happened was, uh, we were we were like we were nonstop because yeah. it, it, most of the markets were that we were coming back as headliners. We had been with all the other bands, yeah, playing there. So, you know, at a certain point is, yeah, we're doing good, but boy, you know, we need to give the audience something new, you know? So the, um, the record company, they just, just yank off us off the road and say, okay, you got six weeks to deliver an album because the album had come out March 16th or something like that, whatever Tuesday it is in, in 1983 for March. And, um, by then it was about a year and a half later. It yeah, was like, July twenty seventh, eighty four. Yeah, not even a year and a half. Yeah, so it was like, uh, okay, guys, we need a new record. If you guys are going to tour again this summer, which was the whole, you know, that's you guys have to go on tour this summer. Yeah, you're going to ha- need to take this six weeks off and make a new record. And did you have? Did you guys have songs written, or did you have to write it? Uh, some of the songs were actually leftovers okay. from the uh, Metal Health. Um, new songs like Condition Critical and, you know, things like that. And uh, so so it was really an interesting process, but very under pressure. And whose idea was it to do another Slade song? 
that let me tell you exactly what happened when come on feel the noise became really hot on the radio i'm sure the guys from slade were happy about it yeah, yeah i'm pretty sure <laughs> they were getting some uh, residuals some uh, publishing on that yeah yeah uh, and they deserve it you know sure they wrote the song yeah uh Going back to, uh, I was going to tell you about a typical day on the road. Yes, yeah, I'm sorry. And then I we were going to tour, uh, get on in the bus. We were driven to a city. We stayed in the parking lot until it was check-in time. It's in the parking lot of the hotel. Okay. Let's say Holiday Inn. Go in the parking lot. Okay, it's, uh, it's noon. A tour manager will go in, get the keys. We'll go in the room, take a shower because we have been asleep in the bus. Sure. You know get something to eat, go to the record store at the mall, right? But, okay, let me rewind that a little bit. We would drive down to straight to do the morning uh, drive of the local radio station of, you know, whatever town we're doing the gig at. So we'd go, you know, do the, uh, the morning show. And then after that, we'll go to the hotel. Okay. So we get there, and and it's uh, all the DJs were going, man, you guys got such a great hit with "Come on, Feel the Noise." Next record, you got you have to have another one, and we were like, oh sure, if you play it, we'll yeah. Play. <laughs> right? Yeah. By the time the new record came around, and we come up with a new one, it was like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> what are you doing? What were you thinking? What do you mean we're thinking? You're the guys who told us to make <laughs> to do it, yeah, to do it, you know. So let lesson learned. Yeah, but it worked. It, it's just, Mama, we're all crazy. Yeah, it was, but it was, it was not. It's, it didn't do what it was supposed to do mm-hmm. according to the DJs, right? You know? And there just happened to be another band named Mama Mama's Boys from Ireland or Scotland, okay. the UK, somewhere in the UK, that came out with Mama World Crazy Now <sighs> and a video. So now all of a sudden, it's like you know MTV. They like to be edgy. So now it's like, oh wait a minute. Now we have the, the, the fresh new talent. So this challenge, Quiet Riot with Mama's Boys you know, on the same song. So they played us against each other and things like that. Well, let's see. Well, let's play a little of Mama, We're All Crazy now, and then we'll go into Party All Night. going to party all night. You guys had these songs that when you look out into the crowd, people were singing along because it's like, 
you just had these choruses and these hooks that were like, that must be cool to look out and see the people just going crazy. Well, that's what you along. were going for back yeah. in the, you know, in early eighties, sure. anthems. Right. That's what we called them. Yeah. And you guys kept, um, you kept the branding, you, you kept the logo, you kept the mask. Mm -hmm. um, but the album doesn't do what you, the first album does. Well. Just because it was, just because you didn't have time. It was double platinum. So, you know. So that's great. I mean, you can't, especially in a really crowded market. Because, that's true. Because this is what happened. I'm not diminishing it at all. No, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, this is the reality of what happened. Yeah. When we came out with Metal Health, there were no major releases. I mean, major release being that I'm not talking about a an EP that was released locally by Motley Crue or Dokken or Greg White or any of those bands. Right. right. Then, you know, we were the only ones with a major release. Major release that label, a, hit, a full then, album. Yeah. yeah. So all of a sudden, all the labels in, in Los Angeles started looking into the strip saying, oh, what else is there like Quiet Riot? So by the time that we came back with the second record, we were, we were competing with everybody else. Yeah, that you so, had, they got deals because of your success, and now, well, now you, the competition's it, stronger. It's coming. It, it happens every time. The Beatles were the British invasion. Mm -hmm. You know, the Beatles were a big hit. Well, let's sign everybody else. That's, yeah. You know, that's got Beatle boots, you know, whatever. And the same thing happened with, with Nirvana. You know, Nirvana hits big. Oh, what's, what's going on? You know, Sub Pop. Okay, great. Let's get all these bands, you know. So it, it, it repeats. Mm -hmm. It's cyclical, you know, basically. But what happens is you are, by the time you come back with your next record, you're competing in a very crowded market. Yeah. And then what happens with you and Quiet Riot? Because um, this is your last record for quite some time. Yeah. I, um, I just had some personal conflicts. Mm -hmm. That again, I wasn't... Within uh, the band. Within the band. You know, I didn't have the tools to actually know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it doesn't mean that even if I had the tools, the outcome was would have been different. But certain things, you know, and actually the reason why I reunited with the band in 97 was because... When I left, even though I had major success with Whitesnake, yeah. there was still this lingering question in the back of my mind, which is what would have happened if I would have stayed? And then I reunited in 97 and the band imploded in 2003, that version you yeah. know, with the original members yeah. of the Mental Health. Uh, and then I got my answer. Then you knew. And then I, I got the answer, I was able to move on. Because you knew that, well, I did, originally I did make the right choice then. Is that what you mean? Oh, no. It's just it's lingering. It okay. Questions. You, the, it's answering the unknown. Okay. Are you, do, are you a guy that hangs on to like stuff like that? Because if it's, you know, loose ends, so to speak? I used to more. Yeah. I mean, I have less loose ends in my life mm -hmm. now than I did years ago. That's good. Yeah. So White Snake. Uh-huh. This White Snake uh, self-titled album from 1987. You you don't play on that. The guys that we see in the videos aren't on that album. No, except for Adrian. Adrian a little bit solo on "Here I Go Again." But it's uh, John Sykes and some other guys. Yeah. So um, Dan Huff played on that too. So what is it like to be 
in these white snake, these iconic white snake videos with Tani Katane, and you're you just you're miming someone else's parts, right? You know that I'm a competitive air guitar. <laughs> Player. No, I did yes, not. I am. I Are you being ma- serious? I have many awards, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but now this is um, this is almost uh, a, almost feels like a bigger deal than Quiet Riot was at this time. Like White Snake had been around for so long, and finally David Coverdale is bursting through on MTV. Like I think people thought White Snake was a brand new band. Yeah. And they, me, that might have been their eighth or ninth album at the time. The best way that I can answer your previous question mm. was this is what happened. Uh, Whitesnake was the opening band for Quiet Riot in 1984. Okay. And I had experienced the conflicts, <coughs> intergroup conflicts that were happening. And when I left Quiet Riot, I got a call from uh, from their management, okay. and I met with them, and they offered Tommy Aldridge and me to join the band. This is in 1985. Okay. And I personally declined because I figure I'm leaving one situation to going to another. No, I don't think so. Okay. You know, two years later, we actually get the call to go on the video, to make the video. By then, the conflict did not exist in the group anymore. And even the group did not exist anymore. Right. So I figure if I would have played on the record, I probably would have not gone on to, right. to be on that, you know, on the, in the future of that portion of Whitesnake. So when you, uh, when you would do, um, did you guys do in-store signings with that album? Not as many as Quiet Riot. Yeah. Not as many. That's, that's, yeah, that's interesting. I can recall... We did a few because mm-hmm. I've seen them in the videos, yeah, but not uh, not on a daily basis of going every day in the morning to the radio mm-hmm. station, and then after that to do the in store. And what's it like signing an album that you didn't play on? Is it weird? No, not really. Okay, because I'm pretty sure there's there's albums out there that I I'm playing on that people sign anyway. <laughs> True. Yeah, I don't, I don't care. So uh, so that's 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 a huge success that tour. And then they have to, White Snake has to make another album. Yeah. And you are on this album. Mm-hmm. It's you and Steve Vai mm-hmm. and Tommy. Yeah. The and, reason why Steve was brought in because uh, besides being Steve Vai, you know, a guitar oh, god, yeah. um, Vivian Campbell was uh, left, was, was out of the band. Mm-hmm. And more having to do with Adrian injuring himself mm-hmm. while we were in the studio recording. He injured his hand, his wrist, so he was not able to 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 record, to track. And we had a deadline. Again, one of those looming <laughs> deadlines, like the record has to come out on this certain day. Because, you know, people look at releases, but they, they might not realize that everything is done quarterly. And it gets, you know, at a certain quarter, there's so many records of the certain genre okay. that actually get released. That's why sometimes, you know, bands have to wait for the cycle of like, okay, our record is done, but we have to wait six months for that quarter to come and then we'll release it. Because it'd be like, oh, because Van Halen has an album coming out and we don't want to come out the same time as they do, stuff like that. Yeah, Christmas is the toughest one because that's where all the, well, and and I'm talking old school, right? Sure. That's where all the greatest hits come out. Right, with a couple bonus tracks. And the Christmas albums. Yeah. You know, so that's what you, when you go to the store and there's certain end caps 
and radio is, is playing Christmas music. Right. They're not playing, you know, the new releases, you know. So it's not like until the new the cycle begins again in January, like around, uh, or February around uh, Valentine's. But this album, this slip of the tongue, this came out in November. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the hair is magnificent in these videos, by the way. Thank it's you. It's so gigantic. It is. We had three three hairdos. We had the uh, lobby, <laughs> which is to do, go to do a sound check and meet the fans. Right. Then we had the that evening after for the performance. Mm-hmm. You had the arena hairdo. It's gigantic. And if we were playing at a stadium at a festival, then we had the stadium hairdo. Even bigger. Yeah. Yeah. I got to see you guys. Um, I remember this before the gigantic screens. Yeah. So they had to see us somehow in a stadium. We were like these little figures. So we'd be like trolls yeah. on stage, you know, a lot of hair. And that's the well, when I saw White Snake, I saw it was, uh, God, it was, uh, I think it was Bad English, Great White, Skid Row, and White Snake. And maybe a band called Hurricane Alice was first. Yeah, oh, it was, was like in Milwaukee at the. Uh, yes. Yeah. It was yeah. like the Monsters of Rock thing. Yeah. That was the only show that we did with that lineup. Oh, oh well, I saw that show. Yeah. You guys were great. Uh, yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, you know, look, you know, playing with a band like White Snake, playing with with Ozzy, playing with Quiet Riot, mm-hmm. it, it was very consistent. Yeah, you it's, were always in front of large audiences at yeah, the time. You well, were just like on a roll, Rudy. I, I mean, it, it wasn't even. It was that, but in addition to it, the band, the band would always play at a certain level. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I can say, "Oh yeah, that we we did a show in Omaha that was really bad." No, because we really didn't have bad shows. No, you just, no. You we just did it. It was, yeah. a, it was a big machine and everybody, you know, it's like. And everyone was playing at, 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 at oh, their highest level. It was the Super Bowl every single night. Let's, uh, let's hear, uh, on Slip of the Tongue, they, uh, White Snake uh, covers themselves. They do a new version of uh, Fool for Your Loving. so good coverdale's voice is just oh it's crazy yeah, he's a phenomenal singer uh interesting uh i was listening to the same song today and uh, you listen to fool for your loving today yeah, yeah i was listening to both versions because this 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 is the re-recording yeah the original is in the key of g which was a bluesier key yeah this one is in the key of a but it sounds Poppier, more mm-hmm. more radio friendly. It's not as gloomy, bluesy. Yeah, yeah. You know, so we picked it up to a and and you play different when you're playing a different key. I actually prefer the key of G because it's it's a blues song, but it was trying to they were trying to I don't know make it more up to date. Yeah. And can, may may I ask you why were you listening to those two versions today? What made what popped into your head to listen to those? Okay, I am doing uh, a rock and roll 
fantasy camp. Ah, okay. In Las Vegas, and I'm going to be a special guest. And usually I do it as a counselor, but since I'm on tour with the Guess Who, yeah. I'm only going to be there for a few hours okay. in Vegas before we do our show at the Golden Nugget on Friday, the 5th, October 5th. Okay. And uh, so my what's, what a special guest does at the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp is they go and play with every single camp or band. Okay. That, um, and so they, the special guest sends a list of songs. Gotcha. And then the, the campers decide what song they want to do. Then, so when I get there, I have no idea. I might be, you know, listening and going over Full Free Loving because I haven't played it in decades <laughs> and not have to play it. Yeah. Who knows? So I learned both keys. You got to be ready. You got to be ready because you might walk into a room and they're going to go, oh, oh, we're doing it the original G key. Okay, fine. I know it. Or the A key. So that's why I was listening to both. That's cool. And is uh is Teddy Zigzag still involved in the rock and roll? I don't think he's doing this this special. Oh, he might. I I don't know. But yes, he's still very involved. Yeah. I'm friends with uh, I'm friends with Teddy's wife Lisa. She's oh, Lisa, been on the show many great. times. Yeah. yeah, I mean yeah. I've known her for yeah. 25 years from yeah. Chicago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Teddy's been. He's like the he's he's like the veteran. Yeah, I am the second one. Cool. Yeah. Lisa would always say, you got to have Rudy on the show. And I'm like, well, keep, hook me up with Rudy and I'll have, certainly I'll have him on the show. But um, I love those guys. Yeah, they're yeah. great. Yeah. Let's hear one more track from uh, Slip of the Tongue. This is uh, The Deeper the Love. Here's a question I have. Um, you've been you've been all in. Uh, you know you've toured with tons of people: Blue Oyster Cult and Dio and and Ozzy uh, and White Snake. Do you ever get a call to read? Like there, there's White Snake still exists. Do you ever get a call to go back to any of these bands? Because like Tommy's Tommy Aldridge is back with White Snake. Yeah, well he's been back with White Snake for, for a while yeah. for for a long time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, Quiet Riot was the only one, sure. you know, and that was our band. Yeah. And do you feel, do you feel uh, like when you see like White Snakes out there, do you ever think like, oh, I'd like to play with White Snake again? Or is that, that ship is passed? That would be like me sitting around thinking, what is my <laughs> girlfriend from high school? Who is she in bed with right now? I love that you put it that way. Okay. You, that was a perfect way to put it. That <laughs> makes total sense to me now. It's okay. Like, that would be creepy. <laughs> so, so you, uh, so the original lineup of uh, um, of Quiet Riot did make an album in two thousand one called Guilty Pleasures. Yeah, yeah, I guess we did. <laughs> That's a pretty great album. It's a fun record. Yeah, let's hear Vicious Circle. Yeah, yeah. 
Was uh, was it fun making this record? Yeah, it was. Uh, I think the band. Well, Eleven Well was first, and then uh, Guilty Pleasures after that. Yeah, and it was basically the return of the band. Uh, it was, you know, I'm personally, I felt like I was tying up loose ends, mm-hmm. like, like you mentioned before, you know, being back and and see how this was going to play out because there was a lot of hope around that time. This is like around the period where post-grunge period and the industry was beginning to embrace the, uh, the hair bands, right. you know, the 80s bands. Uh, there were package tours being assembled, and we were part of a few of those. Mm-hmm. And you know, there was a more cre- credibility was being given to the bands of that era. Yeah, you know, they were taken more seriously now. And uh, so, yeah, it, it, it was it was enjoyable until it wasn't anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think it is about like the music of that era, the music that I still love, you know, sticks and journey and, and you know, all these guys and that music is still out there. You know what I mean? And I just don't mean on radio. I mean, th- these bands are still well, touring sticks, year sticks, after year. Yeah. Sticks and journey. I, 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 I grew up with that. Yeah. So I would consider it more classic rock, mm-hmm. which is a whole different songwriting, uh, right. Style, you know, Whereas the '80s is pretty much it is what it is. Yeah, but those bands are still those. You know, there's a there's a version of Quiet Riot out there. Yeah, Frankie's got yeah, a version, I, and I I am their biggest fan. Yes, yeah. but if you look at a Journey, it's not really a party band. No, you know, whereas Quiet Riot was always intended to be right. a party band. You know, and I think most of the bands from the '80s, like even. Poison, yeah, the party band. They're still out there. Yeah, still out there. It's it, it's it's a party. So yeah. it's it's uh, people. Uh, they come out in the summer, and then people can go and just forget the, their their job or whatever. That uh, was for yeah. those that two, that three, was four the, hours. The intention of Quiet Riot, even the original intention of Quiet Riot back in the seventies, um, we were basically influenced by glam rock, mm-hmm. which is again it was a form of party band. As far as bass playing goes, who are your? Who do you look to? Do you have influences? Oh, who, do, who do you? Everybody. Everybody. Oh yeah. Who's your favorite? Do you have a favorite? Well, I mean, it, there's there's people that I still listen to, and and I learn a lot from them, and try to break not mm-hmm. really break the code, but more like understand the code. Uh, would be like Jacko. Uh, yeah, more you know, like the. Uh, more of the jazz guys, yeah. but not just not just the guys who are who are great um, at having uh, technique because mm-hmm. technique can really fool you. Like if you're really great at slapping, mm-hmm. slapping is really having to do with minimal musical content. You know, as far as what you're actually playing with your left hand. I mean, of course, it's technique. Yeah, rather than it's more like 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 being percussive rather than lyrical and musical, mm-hmm. with the very few exceptions, you know, I would say Marcus Miller, it's the most musical of all the slappers. Um, guys like Victor Wooten, that's another one. But basically, if you're going to watch somebody with incredible slapping technique, they're sticking to pentatonic scales, basically. And what's the difference? Why do some people play bass with a pick and some people don't? Tone. I mean, I, I play with a pick in the studio if, if my 
if it's, I, I even audition picks. Oh, you, to see, to get the best pick? I, the best pick for the song. You are really deep into this, which no, is no, awesome. You, I love it. You have to. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, you have to get deep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love yeah, it. Yeah. What, um, and you play, you play with Tim Ripper Owens, Queensryche. You were great in the, I mean, Queen, uh, the Jeff Tate version. The Jeff Tate yeah, version. Yeah. Uh, you were great in the Hired Guns documentary also. The documentary, uh, you know, it's, you know, I, I appreciate you telling me mm -hmm. that, but then again, it was a subject mm -hmm. that it was very painful for me to talk about, you know. Yeah. But then again, you know, it has to be said. Yeah. It has to be told, the story. Right. You know? But you were... Uh, yeah, but you, you came off, you know, you came off as, um, you know, just a, you know, a great guy. And you seem like a great guy. Well, I mean, it's, you know, come on, I'm, I make a living, you know, with a, with a piece of wood wrapped around me with, with four, <laughs> you know, metal strings, you know. <laughs> How lucky uh, can you get? Yeah, well, that's what they say about drummers. They, they beat on yeah, things for a living. Yeah, beat on things. He's like, God, yeah. What can you tell us? I don't have any. I don't have any of the uh, live Dio stuff that you played on. What was it like? Uh, what can you tell us about Ronnie James? Dio? Oh, Ronnie! Uh, you know, by the time I played with him, I have been around for like 20, 25 years. Yeah. Doing, and I thought, ah, I, I, you know, I've seen everything, know everything. But being in in a band with Ronnie was a whole different layer. In what way? Tell us. Professional? Not only not even professionalism, just the way that. Yeah, professionalism in, in a way that, I, I mean, I'm not saying that the other guys were not professional, but it seemed like Ronnie has something to prove to his last breath. Hmm. You know, he has something, a new level to go to. And he just, and he was loyal, sometimes to a fault. Gotcha. You know, uh, he really... He took care of his band, even when sometimes there were certain things going on within the band uh, that I personally would have just lost my, my mind. He was very, I mean, he took care of the situation, moved on, and never saw him be angry about things like that. So very even-tempered person. Even-tempered, and you know, at, when I started playing with him, it was around the time where record sales were really declining rapidly, mm -hmm. so you could see what was going to happen. And but it never affected him creatively. He would be writing constantly for either Dio or Heaven and Hell. Yeah, you know, being in the studio recording, it's like record sales numbers really didn't matter. He just know. wanted to make music. He wanted to make music. That's it. Go on tour, you know, be with a band. He had this thing that he could, he would remember everybody's name. And if, let's say, if you play, let's say he plays San Francisco today, he'll come back like two years later. You'll remember everybody in that room, wow. their name and their relatives, the people that were with them. And he seemed like he was a very family oriented person. Oh, yes, yes, very much so. Yeah, he was just fantastic. And the crew, I mean, of course, the band loved him. Yeah. But the crew, oh my God, they would be, uh, you know, somebody from the management will call up the crew guys and say, listen, uh, we're going on tour with Dio, certain date. And there was so much respect in the industry for Ronnie that 
if let's say if a crew member is working for band X, that crew member will go to the manager and say, listen, Ronnie needs me. Ronnie needs me. And they say, okay, go, go, no problem. That's great. Yeah. There was so much respect for him. I love it. I love yeah. hearing that. Yeah. And, um, so there's an, there's another album that you're on currently mm-hmm. just released. Two mm-hmm. albums are released right now. On the same day. Yeah. 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 And one of, one of them is the band that I'm in, the, the guess, which who. is the guess who, the guess who. And you guys are going to be touring tons of dates coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Can oh. I say the dates? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We're actually going to be in the Los Angeles area. How, how far does this go? Oh, this is all over the world. Okay. So we're going Everywhere. to be in, um, we're going to be in Northern California. I, I got all written down here. Feel free. We're going to be at this, uh, this winery of Saturday night. I don't drink wine. I don't drink alcohol. So I sure picked the wrong time to quit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, it's on Instagram. Okay, let me open the Instagram here. I can also look it up if you want me to. I okay, can go to the website. Yeah, if, if, yeah, if you can look it up. Sure, that would be great. Um, now let me ask you something. Since you you don't you don't indulge in um, no in I have alcohol for over twenty years. Uh, so if you're if you want to indulge in something, what's like a, what's like a treat for you? A Snickers bar, smoothie, smoothie, smoothie. All Too right. much sugar. I I I found these. Uh, Okay, I got the dates. Plymouth, California, September 29th at Hellwig. Yes. Hellwig Winery. What a name to have a rock band. Hellwig. The Hellwig Winery. Then Oakland. Oakland, the following day, September 30th. Oakland, at Yoshi's. Sushi. <laughs> <laughs> Two shows at Yoshi's. And then a couple of days later, we're in Fresno, California at the Tower Theater. That's October 2nd. A couple of days later, we come to our hood right here. We're doing uh, Santa Clarita, California at the Canyon Club. That's October 4th. October 5th in Las Vegas at the Golden Nugget. And then uh, we come right back and the Agoura Hills, uh, the Canyon Club, October 6th. Maybe Kyle and I will be coming to that show. You have to, definitely. And October 7th at the San Juan Capistrano. The Coach House. The Coach House, yeah. And that's our... California run. And then you're going to be in West Virginia, Florida, Nevada, Texas, Florida. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. Going to be playing all the guess who hits hits plus, uh, four new, four new songs. songs. Yeah. Now, so this other album, dream child, this is kind of, it's kind of a tribute to Ronnie James Dio. Well, yes. And no, but but not, what do I want to say? You're trying to capture the feeling of Dio's music? No, no, it's actually, well, I mean, it, that's part of it because Ronnie, I would love to just keep saying stuff yeah. and you just keep going. Nope. No, that's not it. Pat. No, because I mean, and I can say this because I, I before I even laid down one note on, yeah. on the record, uh, there was a strategy. Okay. And the strategy was to actually not, not just sound like Dio, <laughs> and I made a point of talking to Goldie, he said, Goldie, if we sound like Dio, because, we have Diego Valdez. He's, a, he's from Argentina. Wonderful mm-hmm. singer. Great and singer. Yeah. Yeah. He's incredible. World-class singer. But he can sound, he, if he wanted to, he can emulate. I mean, nobody sings like Ronnie. Right. But to the untrained ear, it sounds right. like. Yeah. There's a couple tracks where yeah. I can just, for a second, you, yeah. can, you can hear it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 I had a conversation with, with Goldie and I say, listen, you know, if, if it sounds too much like Dio, this record is going to be dead in the water. So 
the idea, the intention originally, even before Diego was picked, was, you know, the record company was talking with Goldie because Goldie was doing other projects. And Goldie says, listen, I want to make a record that celebrates 70s metal. Okay. That was it. And this is what this record is all about. The intention is celebrating 70s metal. And of course, Ronnie is such a big influence with Rainbow and Black Sabbath that, you know, you can't get away from that. Right. But then it also has things like Deep Purple in there and, you know, and so on, you know. And so that was the, the vision of creating this album. So I have the whole, I have the whole thing in here. What would you like to, us to play? Uh, Under the Wire? Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that's kind of like a deep purple driving. Let's hear this. Kyle, I think you're going to love, Kyle has not heard this yet. You're going to love this. Okay. Child actually made a video for this. Yes, we have a couple of videos. Yeah, that we did. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, and, uh, and also uh, the Guess Who. We have three videos. Yeah, they're all on uh, the GuessWho.com. You can see yes. all the. You can get the tour dates there. You can see the videos there. Yes, we have a video for In America. That was the last one we shot, and then Haunted was the one in the middle, and Playing on the Radio was the first video that we actually released. Let's hear. Uh, let's hear Playing on the Radio. All right, hold on. They're not all in this. It's at the top. Oh. Should have been the second song on my oh, list. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, playing on the radio, but Rudy does not play on this song. But I play the radio. Yeah, and you'll play, you'll play it live <laughs> yeah, if this is one of the uh, ones. Yeah, that's my, Michael Devin. Okay. This is a great tune. I love it. one of the ones that's in the set list yes because uh, it's right in the middle cool uh so if you go to the bathroom in the middle of our set you you'll miss it yeah don't do that guys just stick yeah. around for the new it's songs. A long set so i would recommend wearing depends <laughs> <laughs> uh rudy i really uh, i appreciate you coming down here and talking to us about your your great career and all these bands you've been in and uh i'm so uh you know i've always been a fan so i'm excited that you have 
new projects out there and you just keep doing what you're doing. And uh, you were nice enough to sign a copy of your book, uh, two of these uh, Guess Who CDs, a couple of uh, Quiet Riot CDs, uh, an Aussie CD, and White Snake CD. And those are going to go out to the listeners. So I really appreciate it. And um, just pick up this album. This album, it's called The Future Is What It Used to Be. Pick that up by Dream Child, too. But the Guess Who is where your, uh, your heart is currently. This is your band. Well, I mean, where, whatever I play on, I put my heart into Of course, it, of course. my commitment. Your commitment, right. Yes. Uh, what can we play out with? Well, I had, I had um, the version of Metal Health from Alive and Well because you never played on the original. Mm. But, you know, we could also play out with uh, Paranoid from the Tribute album. Yeah, I go with that. Uh, yeah. Let's go with Paranoid. Yeah. Uh, let's do, oh, you know what else I wanted to ask you about before we do that? You, um, you're into uh, animal, animal rights and stuff, uh, correct? Rescue, yes. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to, you want to talk a bit about, uh, about yeah. that or yeah, because, what you, yeah, whatever, I, whatever you want to say. What, what I do is very simple. I mean, my, the, the closest thing to an affiliation that I might have mm-hmm. with the an animal rescue would be with Linda Blair's organization. Okay. You know. Uh, yeah. That's that's the one that when people ask me, can you recommend something to donate some you know money to? I would say, yeah, definitely the uh, the Linda Blair world. And how many how many how many animals do you have at the Sarzo house currently? One, just one. One Yorkie. Is that that's your dog of and, choice? I've seen the pictures. And she is a handful. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> but what I do is, I mean, I, I get so many shelters that come through my feeds and mm-hmm. social media that I just repost. And that's, that's what I recommend for anybody to do. Yeah, that's good. Just retweet it or whatever. Retweet it and make, a, make the world aware of what's available because you never know who's going right. to be looking for, you know, for a pet. You're on Facebook? Yes, I People am. People can like you on yes, Facebook? Yes, they can. Uh, yes. We follow you on Twitter. Where are you Twitter at on Twitter? And, um, Twitter and Instagram. And what's your handle on tw- on Twitter and Instagram? Well, Instagram is Sarzo Rudy, Sarzo dot Rudy. Um, what are you posting on there? Pictures of your smoothies? No, <laughs> no food. No, I'm not really big about food because I used to be chub skin when I was when I was little. I used to be really fat. So really, yeah, yeah. You know, there's something about when you grow up fat, you yeah. always think you're fat. Right. Yeah, it's one of those. Well, you're not conditions. fat. I'm just going to yeah. tell you, you're not fat. I know, but hey. <laughs> my, my my Twitter is at Rudy Sarzo. R U D Y S. And there's a cute picture there, you and your dog. My, yeah, that's my our previous uh, um, puppy. Um, that's uh, Tuka, Tuka. And um, yeah, Instagram and 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 Rudy Sarzo on on uh, Facebook. Excellent. We are we are at Rock Solid Show. I am at Pat underscore Francis. Kyle, you are at Kyle Dotson Funny. Mm-hmm. Go to rocksolidpodcast.com for all things about the show. And once again, Rudy, thank you so much for giving up your time tonight. I really enjoyed talking with you. Uh, You are a a true gentleman, and um, it it would be insane to be in a room and hear you and Kenny Aronoff just going at it together. Oh, I have such a great time playing with him. Where does Kenny play? Does he play in front, in the middle, or behind? Uh, Wherever he wants to. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's hear, uh, let's hear some people. They're all playing in front. This is from the Ozzy Osbourne album uh, called Tribute, and this is uh, Paranoid. Thank you, Rudy. <laughs> 